your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. So we might have been dreaming of a white Christmas and it may not have come to be that dream. Has that got anything to do with global warming? Perhaps it would be a bit short-sighted to uh, pin it all in that direction, but certainly we can say the Arctic region has been warming up. And to hammer home that point, we've got on the line Professor David Barber, Canada Research Chair in Arctic System Science at the University of Manitoba. Good morning from Seoul. Good morning. And happy Christmas to you. And to you as well and your listeners. Um, I mean, we have this Christmas image of a blanket of white, of polar bears even. A lot of Arctic imagery, it's fair to say. Are we going to have to change our image of the Arctic? <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, we're having to uh, wear different colored glasses, I think, as we start to think about what's going on in the high latitudes of our planet. Where I live here in Winnipeg, we normally have lots of snow by now as well, and we just got our first snowfall about... Uh, four days ago. Why are global warming specialists focusing so, so specifically on the Arctic? Presumably all that ice and the rate at which it's melting gives us a very good barometer? Well, it does. The ice itself, the sea ice, is a very good barometer. But um, I started working in the Arctic in 1981. And when I first went up to the Arctic, even in those early days, uh, the models that we were using to look at the global warming that's going on on the planet we're predicting that we would see the first and the strongest signs of a global warming signal in the Arctic. And so for the first 10 years of my career, basically the decade of the 80s, I didn't see any evidence of it at all in the Arctic. And then the decade of the 90s, it started to become rather unusual what was going on with the weather in the Arctic, and I started to notice a lot of variability. And then in the decade of the 2000s and right up through till 2015, the amount and change that has been going on in the Arctic is extremely significant. So it's really uh, very true to say that we are now seeing the first and very strongest signs of a global record of climate change in the Arctic. And are you convinced that this is um, a human phenomenon, or at least there are strong human factors there, rather than being part of a, a natural cycle, let's say? Well, the first 10 years of my career, I was a skeptic. I didn't believe that uh, global warming was a human-induced thing. The next 10 years, I was starting to really question myself. And in the last 15 years, I've become very much a convert. I really believe that this is a human-induced thing. That's the major influence of it anyways, is our reliance on fossil fuels and greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And the Arctic is really, you know, giving us this sort of first and direct uh, clear sign of what this consequence is of a warming planet and we're starting to feel it now in the more temperate parts of the latitudes or part, temperate latitudes of the planet as well as even the tropical parts of the planet C can you somehow put in a perspective that all of us non-arctic scientists would understand just what sorts of changes are taking place and, and how significant they are <clears throat> well there's several different sort of parts of the arctic that you can think about i'm a sea ice specialist so i study the ocean. When the ocean freezes, it forms ice on top of the ocean, and that sea ice historically would survive a summer's melt and would regrow the next year. And we call that ice multi-year sea ice because it grows for more than one year before it gets exported out of the Arctic. 
When I first started working in the Arctic in the 80s, about 85% of the Arctic basin was covered with this kind of sea ice. And that sea ice was typically 5 to 8 meters thick, very cold, very hard, very difficult to get ships through uh, it or build you know, structures to withstand the forces that were associated with that kind of ice. Today, about uh, 13% of the Arctic is covered by multi-year sea ice, and the rest of it is covered by first-year sea ice. And first-year sea ice is much thinner. It gets a maximum thickness of about 2 meters. And it's much softer because it has a lot more salts in it uh, because the salts don't drain out each uh, summer like multi-year sea ice does. Mm. So that's a very clear signal of a change at a hemispheric scale. And that's a very significant scale change as well. So if we go back in the records that we have, even if we go way back uh, using things that are called paleoclimate records, that's where you drill into ice cores or look at tree rings or take sediments from the ocean floor. We can see that the kind of change in the sea ice we're seeing today is unprecedented over the last 1,500 years. And so that's a pretty significant uh, result by itself. And then you add on top of that permafrost. So permafrost is when the, um, the Arctic tundra is frozen. You call it permafrost. And again, when I started working in the Arctic, all of the Arctic areas had permanent uh, permafrost. It was, it didn't melt each year, and uh, the depth of it was very shallow. It was very up near the surface, and uh, the permafrost has been melting very rapidly in the last 15 years. And of course, this is a big problem with built infrastructure. So, if you're trying to build roads or train lines or, you know, have buildings or runways or things like that, the permafrost used to rely on it. Now you can't. You have to realize that it melts every summer, and therefore you have to change your engineering design. And then another key feature is glacial ice. So glacial ice is this ice that forms these big ice sheets. So if, uh, if you imagine in your mind a map of the Arctic, you'll see Greenland very clearly on the, uh, the east side of Canada. Greenland is a, a big ice sheet, and that ice sheet is melting. It's uh, losing a lot of mass into the water, about 600% faster than the models predict, actually. And so this is causing sea levels to rise uh, globally as these ice sheets uh, you know, transform from a solid form to a liquid form, they, they cause sea level to rise. And we're now starting to see the impacts of that, you know, around the planet in places where we have a lot of people living near sea level. So the Arctic has been a, a very clear indicator for us of what's going on at a global scale as far as this whole idea of global climate change. And it's in line with the models that we have. I think one of the um, notes of caution is that the models are conservative relative to what we're actually observing happening in the Arctic. So if you go mm. and make measurements in the Arctic, all of the different components that I talked about are changing much more rapidly than even the models are predicting that they would change. So it really is and must be a wake-up call for the planet to realize that we need to deal with this problem at a global scale. But when we hear about that recent deal in Paris, for example... Uh, is that based then on, on more conservative models? And are you concerned about the effectiveness of, of the government's moves at, at present? Yeah, that's, that's exactly the point. It's, you know, the models are being used to set these ideas of do we try to keep the planet within 2 degrees C or 1.5 degrees C? Well, those are all based on model projections. And from an Arctic perspective, things are happening faster than what these models predict they should be happening. So... We're using a conservative model to try to make policy at an international level, and we're having a heck of a hard time, you know, trying to match 
uh, even those conservative estimates from the models, yet the measurements are telling us we better get our act together and start doing things much more significantly than we have been in the past. So otherwise, there's a disconnect there between the observations and the models. But but otherwise, we end up underwater, literally. I mean, th that's the reality. What sort of time frame would you place on that, on the less conservative models? Well, it depends what you're talking about. Like, it takes quite a while for sea level to rise because you have to melt the big glaciers of the planet, and that takes time to do that. But sea ice, for instance, you can remove sea ice very rapidly, and that kicks in what we call a feedback into the system. And the simplest way to think of this is imagine an Arctic Ocean that is all white in cover because it's covered by sea ice. It reflects all the sunlight away from that ice cover. When you get rid of the ice cover, you form an open ocean, and the open ocean absorbs all that heat, and it uh, retains it in the upper layer of the ocean until you can get rid of it the next fall. And this feedback just causes the ice not to form until later in the year, in subsequent years. And this is a big issue with things like polar bears and things that need this uh, sea ice as a habitat for them to forage for ring seals. Matter of fact, in the research work we do, we find that everything in the marine ecosystem is being affected by this change in sea ice because it's immediate, right? It happens right away. So there are effects both at a very short time scale, which affect the animals and things that live in the Arctic. There are also some what we call teleconnection effects that affect places in more southerly latitudes. And then there are the long-term effects, which are the features of sea level rise. Yeah. And so sea level rise is a very important one because it's going to affect people around the planet because a lot of people live near to sea level. But those changes are 100 years out, whereas the changes that are happening in the Arctic are tens of years out. Yeah. Well, that image of the polar bear at Christmas, as I said before, we may have to change that yeah. image. Hopefully it won't be forced upon us. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the phone with us and, and telling us this very stark truth uh, at Christmas time. Nonetheless, we wish you a, a pleasant day. And to you as well. Best and wishes to those in Korea. Thank you very much. Hopefully your message will get out there and uh, will mean a happy Christmas, not only this year, but in decades and even centuries to come. You can email your thoughts to us, efmthismorning at gmail.com. You are hearing the voice there, Professor David Barber from the University of Manitoba.